0: Welcome to the conversation about BL, aka the Brown Liquor Podcast.
1: And there it is. I'm Ben. I'm Nini. And we're your drunk Caribbean uncle and auntie who are sitting on the porch in the rocking chairs.
0: Four times a year, we pop in to talk about what's going on in the BL world.
1: We shoot the shit about stories, all the drama going into them. I review from
0: a queer media lens. And I review from a romance and drama lens. So
1: if you like cracked out takes and really intense emotional analysis.
0: If you like talking about artistry, industry, and the discourse. And if you
1: generally just love simping.
0: There is a lot of simping on this podcast. We
1: are the show for you. we're back. It is now time for the final segment.
0: That's the top things. And I know that you just said the final segments and not the top things, because you can't say the top things. It makes you feel weird.
1: (laughs) I feel like I'm making fun of my cousins to the South if I say it.
0: You get to pass this one time. (laughs) So... We have changed, actually, our entire top 10 segment from last year. Last year, we did awards by country, and we had a long discussion this year about what would be the most effective way to award the best of the best. Based on just the sheer volume coming out of Thailand, it would neither be fair nor appropriate to segment this section by country. So we have revamped and rework this segment, we're looking at subgenres within the BL genre.
1: Yes, that, that Thanksgiving business. You're wasting your efforts, Pine. My efforts? My efforts? I'm just cooking food here! If
0: only that were true. I, I just want things to be nice for him. I, I know it sounds foolish, but I just want things to be nice for him. Thing is, Pike, uh, we want things to be nice for you too, buddy. We start with a subgenre that is not in the BL genre, but is still an important genre to us, and that is Best GL. Y'all, we were so excited for GL this year. And then basically very little GL actually happened. So there isn't actually really much to award this year. We've got one award to hand out, no runner up. So the winner of the best GL this year is Gap the Series.
1: It really is the only show.
0: It was the only GL this year that we saw that we truly thought made the grade, that took the genre seriously. So Gap, what can I say about Gap? We cried, we laughed, we cackled towards the end. Ben suggested that somebody use somebody else like a bat. It was just so much fun. And that was what I wanted out of the first big GL. To come out of Thailand. I wanted to have some fun. I wanted the girls to be gorgeous. I wanted all new tropes that had nothing to do with BL. And we got all of those things in Gap.
1: We did. We got, let me taste the lipstick that I just put on you. That's great. Good job, girls.
0: Fantastic. No notes. (laughs) Gav was so fun. It was so fresh. It felt so different. It didn't feel like a BL and GL close. It felt like a GL. And so it wins the best GL of the year. Hopefully next year we do better. Moving on. Our next category is Best Genre Romance, and this is a category to award romances in the action, horror, mystery, sci-fi, and fantasy realms. The runner-up for Best Genre Romance is Be My Favorite. I am the resident Be My Favorite cheerleader. Ben likes the show too, but I am the resident Be My Favorite cheerleader of this podcast. Really, what sells this is how Be My Favorite utilized its core conceit, its time travel element. It was so legible, it was simply designed, and it tied into both the structure and the characterization.
1: For me, in a genre story, the conceit matters to the way the story is going to unfold. It can't be an incidental part and the way that time travel mechanic informs the story that's unfolding is really one of the stand out plot devices of the year. They never use it as a cop out. And I think that is one of the reasons why I was positive about the show more than anything else.
0: It's not a cop-out. It's not a deus ex machina. It is a MacGuffin, but it is not a useless MacGuffin. It is an incredibly impactful mechanic. There's two points in the story where it really stands out as an excellent use. The first one is when Kawi goes forward the second time and his life is completely changed and he's miserable. And the second time that it's used, I think, to incredible effect is when P-Sang travels back in time. The time travel mechanic itself and the way it was used in the story really resonate. So the runner-up for Best Genre Romance is Be My Favorite in the sci-fi subcategory for its time travel mechanic. Ben, who's the winner?
1: The winner of Best Genre Romance this year is The End of the World with you... Because they used an impending apocalypse story as a way to do a really fucked up second chance romance. The world is ending, and the characters we have are so messed up that they don't care or despair about this at all because they have all stopped living in one way or another. They have given up. And so. The fact that this story is about those characters choosing to live while staring into the abyss is just really so, so good. I really like that The End of the World with You uses this really well-executed, end-of-the-world-coming-soon setting to force these characters to reckon with the harm that they inflicted upon each other and themselves. And recognize that they don't just want to give up on life because they hit a bad run of it. Your first losses can be really, really difficult. I don't want to ever downplay anyone's pain or suffering. But we're still here. This is our shot. You got to take it. You have to get up. I don't know what getting up looks like for you, but you got to get up. It's not over.
0: Just thinking about the end of the world with you always makes me incredibly emotional because it is about the desperation of hope. It's so easy to just give up and to give up in the face of what feels like absolutely impending doom. And then instead to say, actually, no, I'm not going to give up. And then to have that work.
1: It's funny because we would be my favorite for doing like... Art science fiction really well by having a very straightforward conceit and following the rules of that conceit. But here we're awarding this show, we're kind of doing like a soft magic thing where it doesn't matter what the rules of Yuma's powers are. It's just that he is a teenage boy with the ability to rewrite reality. And helping this teenage boy manage his own angst is how you save the world.
0: so fun save the world by becoming gay dads to a teenage boy who along the way falls in love with somebody experiencing gender it's fantastic no nuts We're looking now at Best Workplace Romance. And I gotta say, I think 2023 was kind of the year of the workplace romance. There were a lot of them this year. Some worked well, some did not. (laughs) But I think what we have here is two of the best. And again, I'm going to engage in a little propaganda for one of my favorites. So for me, the point of setting a workplace drama is that you're either going to be examining power dynamics diverging goals and motivations, or queerness at work. To me, the best workplace romances in the BL genre deal with all three of these, and that's how I picked the winner. But before we get to the winner, I'll let Ben talk about the runner-up.
1: So the runner-up for this year is going to be Love in Translation. (laughs) I generally do not like that most workplace romances are about the power differential between the boss and their employee. It irritates me to no end. It's a form of wish fulfillment that feels a little grounded in a dynamic where men make more money than women, so you're trying to romance your boss to kick up your social status a little bit. It feels a little heteronormative in BL. And it's rare that I feel like the queer dynamics of this are explored well at all. Love in Translation really works for me because the show goes out of its way to make the two characters equal by using (laughs) Thai Law (laughs) to make that happen. And the two of them have to work together to make this functional. Working towards the goals they have for why they even agreed to be part of the business enable them to grow closer with each other and recognize that the thing that they're finding in each other is probably what's more important for them at this point. And the show ends by turning the whole franchise into a worker collective. How cool is that?
0: I enjoyed Love and Translation, and I definitely understand what the things are that you're looking for in a workplace BL. But for me, if you're not examining what it means to be in a romance at work, then the workplace just becomes a setting. It's not integral to the subgenre at that point. It's just a backdrop. I appreciate that of the three things that I said that I'm looking for in a workplace romance... What Love and Translation does explore is this idea of divergent motivations, because they both want the store to succeed, but they have different means of doing that, and they have different reasons for doing that, and sometimes their reasons butt up against each other. That, to me, was a fascinating workplace element of setting this in their little store. I thought it was really neat. I thoroughly enjoyed that. And I think it absolutely deserves the runner-up. The winner, the controversial winner of the Best Workplace Romance Award, it's got to be Step by Step. If we're talking about these three elements, examining power dynamics, looking at divergent goals and motivations, and looking at queerness at work, Step by Step does all three. And I think it did them remarkably well. In fact, the parts of Step by Step that I thought were really well done were the parts that had to do with the workplace dynamic. The workplace dynamics and the workplace setup of Step by Step mattered. The fact that this romance was happening at work, it mattered. The way that work came in between Pat and Jang in the end, that mattered. The way that for Pat and Jang to reconcile, they had to move away from the workplace. That mattered, it resonated, and I think that that was all incredibly well done. And that's before we even get to Chote, what Chote represents in the workplace. One thing I will say about T, that darling angry little man, when he wants to talk about queerness and capitalism, queerness at work, power dynamics in queerness... He gets it. And so, to me, the best workplace romance for 2023 has to go to step-by-step. Flawed as it is, and we did give it a Girl You Tried award this year, it was still the best workplace romance that we saw this year.
1: I'm giving it an award as a workplace show, not as a workplace romance.
0: (laughs) Ben's in the corner here, grumpy.
1: We had a lot of discussion about this particular category because there were quite a few shows set in workplaces this year. We ended up eliminating them for specific criteria reasons, but I do hope that the workplace becomes a more effectively used setting going forward. I'd like to have a different conversation next year about shows set in workplaces.
0: Our next category is best second chance romance. Second chance romance was also a pretty hot topic this year. Usually when we get into the second chance romance, well it is time fuckery versus head fuckery, but it is all head fuckery here at the top. Second chance is really also divided into romances where people didn't take the first chance and romances where people fucked up the first chance. In terms of romances where people fucked up the first chance and are runner-up, it is the end of the world with you. As a second chance romance, I find this incredibly powerful. Masumi and Ritsu had such a rending when they broke up. Masumi's entire life has been conducted in the wreckage of Masumi and Ritsu's breakup. Masumi hasn't really been living since then, and Ritsu has been, we find out at the end of the show, living with serious regrets about what he did to Masumi. The way that the apocalypse gives them both the space to, in a way, seek each other out, because again, we find out at the end of the show that Ritsu deliberately went to the library because he knew Masumi would be there and he might run into him. And I think that Masumi subconsciously went to the library because he told Ritsu that that would be what he did if it ever came to the end of the world. I think that these two wanted to find each other again. I think that they wanted something to give them the space to reconnect. And the apocalypse did just that. There's so much in the structuring of the end of the world with you We know that Yuma technically caused the impending apocalypse, but there's also some argument as to whether Masumi and Ritsu brought it on as well. It's an incredibly good writing of the second chance romance trope, and the way that it ends up playing out in terms of how these two come back together, how they make their apologies, how they forgive, and how they reconcile. I just think it's so cool.
1: Moving on to our winner. The best second chance romance this year is our dating sim. This was the winner. There was going to be no debate about that. Second chance romance is the gayest subgenre of romance because gay people have to have second chance romances because of homophobia. It's Lee Wan's inability to believe that Shin would feel what he's feeling and then he panics in the moment and runs away. Under BL considerations, Juan is the uke who wants to be pursued by Shingite, and he essentially punishes both of them because he confesses, which is not his role. The semei, realizing what he was supposed to do late, does not give up on the uke and spends seven years looking for him, and then meets again, and then aggressively pursues this time. From a queer standpoint, Shengite was not necessarily fully aware of his feelings for Wan when they were kids, but then discovers it very quickly after Wan runs away, struggles with this realization, and then resolves to find him again happens when people who were together once before get back together they kind of regress a little bit and they start going back into the dynamic they had before to try and figure out what was there i really loved that the end of one of their dates was them hanging out and playing video games and reading manga because that's what they did as kids and they talked about how There was maybe a gay thing going on even then and exploring what that means and revisiting some of the earlier moments that they had with each other properly. There were a couple of attempts at second chance romance this year that spent way too much time in the angst of it all and not in the second chance of it all. This show, with the least time, did it best for me. Particularly because it doesn't pretend that Everything is okay. One of Gitae's issues is that he has a fear of abandonment when it comes to Lee Won that he will be working through for quite some time. And I love that the show played that out. This was an excellent example of what gay second chance romance should look like that also plays with some BL trope expectations.
0: Moving on to best high school romance. Now, it seems like BL is always in here. But when we look back, BL doesn't actually touch on high school that much. I feel like a lot of the reason that people think that there's a lot of high school BL is because they tend to flash back to high school. That is a pretty well-worn trope. I think that a lot of people have conflated those flashbacks with high school romance stories.
1: Almost every goddamn BL flashes back
0: to high school at one point or another. Exactly. And I feel like that gets conflated with these things being said in high school. It gets tarred with the brush of, oh, there's too much high school BL, when actually there isn't that much. Anyway, all of that to say... One of the reasons we wanted to do a high school romance category is we think there were some really good ones this year. High school is becoming more fertile ground for some good romances. As a person who had a fairly typical high school experience and feels the nostalgia, I guess, radiating off of some of this stuff, I enjoy high school romance. That has slightly different views, I think. In terms of what I'm looking for in a high school romance, to me, a high school romance requires some of that coming-of-age loss of innocence elements to be included, along with falling in love. And it's supposed to feel outsized. Big dumb love. That's what I'm looking for in my high school romances. Ben, what's your criteria when you're looking at high school romance?
1: So... I went to an all-male Catholic school, and I was a refugee for a full year of high school. I was also deeply in the closet. I don't remember high school fondly, particularly when it comes to romance. The bubbly version of high school is not what I remember. I remember the angst. I remember the crises I was having about what this truth about myself meant for my life. The bubbly version of high school is 100% fanciful to me. Sometimes it hurts to watch that. You go, is that what I was supposed to have? Why didn't I get to have that? So we went into this category with very different lenses we ended up really struggling with awarding in this category the things that Nini is connecting to are very different from the things that I am connecting to with the two projects we ended up settling on when we were trying to decide who to award
0: I think this is the first award that we've ever come down to where we genuinely considered a tie (laughs) just because what we were looking at was so different and not really reconcilable. But in the end, we did choose a runner-up and a winner. So Ben, I'm going to let you tell us who is the runner-up for Best High School Romance.
1: The runner-up for High School Romance goes to I Cannot Reach You from TBS in Japan. Nini pointed out that we don't get a lot of High School romances in BL, actually. We also do not get friends to lovers that often. Most of the time, the boys are not really friends, they're just dating. The big thing with friends to lovers is that there are stakes. The friendship you have is an important relationship and wanting romance or sex from that relationship, does strain it in the concept of bl you're talking about people being gay being gay is going to change the way you interact with the world part of why i cannot reach you works for me so much is yamato doesn't want to inflict queerness upon his friend despite how deeply he wants to be with him and it's very rare that a show captures that properly. The show has Kakaru's exploration and accepting of Yamato's feelings and what that means play out in a way that is really earnest. And even though there's this whole breaking point with them where you can't go back, Kakaru later admits that he wasn't upset about it. He was just surprised. Which is also a very real boy conversation. And I like that the show ends with saying that they get together, but they fight a lot. Because they're friends, they are still going to be sorting out their relationship for a while. Because they have other baggage they bring to it from just how they've gotten used to knowing each other. I Cannot Reach You and our winner are two really special projects from this year in terms of actually exploring what it means to be young and trying to deal with some of this shit. I am always going to be more sensitive to the shows that are willing to stare directly into the hellishness of being gay and young, because I try to be fun and entertaining for all of you, I was a very sad little stressed boy throughout my adolescence. And I like when BL is cognizant of what it means to actually be gay and young and trying to sort your shit out.
0: Ben is right that the best high school romance takes you back to what it felt like to be young and to be dealing with this shit. For him, that skews in one direction, and for me, that skews in entirely another. Our winner of Best High School Romance is my school president. The realism for me, from my perspective, of having a group of friends at the end of high school. There's so much coming down the pipe, but you've got one last year, that one last chance to just be a bunch of dumb fucking kids and maybe, maybe have a dream come true before you go out into the real world and it kicks you around. (laughs) To me, that is what my school president captured. I mean, these kids are idiots. Idiots. And they are still allowed to be idiot kids at this point in time. That's not going to last forever. There's a sense of things being there and not at the same time, of this idea of youth slipping away slowly and quickly all at the same time. This idea that things will never be like this again. And so you kind of have to grab what you can that permeates my school president. And I found it just the quintessence of what a high school story should be in that regard, for me anyway. That wave of love and nostalgia that takes you over that sense of impending doom that's happening at the same time. That excitement for the future and at the same time the fear of it. Looking back at the things that you may have done or not done, because this is sort of the first big reflection point of your life coming to the end of high school. And for that to be happening, along with a first real love, they cook that shit up in a lab just for me. Gun and Tin, to me, are the perfect high school romance because it is that mix of innocent and serious That sense of them being kind of playful puppies, but at the same time, there are these very deep, very real, very serious feelings that need to be treated in a deep, real, serious way. I tend to talk about how important I think love is if you are a person for whom romantic love is important. How important it is at every stage of romantic love at every stage of life and every way that romantic love happens to you and again if romantic love is something that is part of your identity people tend to dismiss first loves young loves and all of that because these things don't tend to last very long but to me just because something doesn't last just because it is a Short lived, beautiful thing doesn't make it any less real. And one of the things that I really appreciate about the couples and my school president, particularly Gun and Tin, is that Tin has had this crush for a really, really long time on Gun. Gun is in a journey of self discovery and he finds something in terms of how he feels for Tin. And even if this doesn't actually pan out, even if this doesn't last the summer, Even if this is something that doesn't go beyond or too far beyond the end of high school, it's still real. It still matters. Everything that they felt, everything that they said to each other, it's still all there. It still all matters. It's still all incredibly real. I really resent young love and first love being treated as less important. I think actually that your first love is incredibly important because it sort of sets up how you are going to conceive of love going forward. And I think that in terms of setting up particularly Gun and Tin, and to some extent Sound and Win, as first loves, you kind of get a sense of how the future trajectory of these characters, individual love lives will go, whether they stay together or don't stay together after high school is less relevant. What happens with the romances now? What happens with them in high school? How they fall for each other, how they talk to each other, how they treat each other. These are all things that are being set in them for the future. And to me, that's like the big part of high school romance. It's You're learning how to be in love. You're learning how to treat somebody in love. It's bubbly. It makes me feel good. They're so cute. Cute is a big part of high school romance to me as well. It has to be adorable. And my school president was. It's a winner.
1: With Gun and ten. part of why I am amenable to my school president is 10 is doing the thing that little gay overachievers always do. He doesn't know how to romance gun except by just trying to support him. And I think that that is genuinely really sweet. The question for you always is, why are these two little homos going to be together? Ten just likes to see his little loser boyfriend try really hard at the things he likes. And is willing to go out of his way to help him with those things. He likes the determination that Gunn brings to the table. And I can appreciate that. And I like for Gunn that part of his journey is accepting that he will need someone else in his corner besides his mom there's a sense that since he lost his dad he's been missing someone else in his corner i liked both of these shows and it was really tough to award this particular category
0: Moving on to BL of the Year. Whew. We argued a bit.
1: For like months. We've been arguing about this since April.
0: And we were arguing really right down to the end. And in the end, the reason that the winner wins is because I went back to last year's BL of the Year. And I listened to how we conceived of and discussed BL of the Year. So the main crux of the argument that we had this year about BL of the Year is about whether this award is about the past or the future. Is this an award about pioneering or is this an award about perfecting? The award in the end is really about influencing the future of the genre. The runner up for BL of the Year is my school president. Everything that BL has been doing from lovesick in 2014 until now, this first decade, has come to a head and been truly perfected in my school president. I think all the churn, all the experimentation, everything that BL has done in the last decade came down to this. This is the first wave BL. This is the proto-BL. And that's why, for me, it was the runner-up for BL of the year. So, Ben, who's the winner? Who has pioneered their way into winning BL of the year this year?
1: Let's talk about the role of pioneering here. I come from a queer cinema lens. The genre is always advancing. My School President doesn't exist without the work that came before it that pushed the genre to be something other than it was at the time. I like to focus on the work that I think is challenging the genre itself the most. The winner of BL of the Year for pushing the genre is La Pluie. La pluie is special for me because it's the only show this year that pushed me to write every week for eight weeks beyond just doing my normal straight thoughts reactions. I felt a need to advocate for this show. One of the struggles that I've watched longtime fans have is we bring too much genre expectation to it. La Pluey was so legible. More than anything, La Plouie was asking about the nature of romance itself. So much of what's wrong with all the characters in the show is romance itself. Ty is a goddamn mess because the boy reads too much romance. And... He's got too many issues about his parents not having the perfect romance that they were supposed to have. This also impacts Tian as well. He's kind of got similar hangups about how he thinks things should go. Maybe he doesn't express himself the way he should. Because he also brings a lot of presumptions to this. But La Plui asks you, are you willing to do the work to be in the romance? Like if you see the tropes lining up for you perfectly and you're vibing with somebody are you going to show up and do the work to be in that romance with them are you just going to get mad at them for not doing what you expect them to do because you've watched 200 BLs <laughs> and now you feel like you understand romance and what human interactions should look like my favorite thing about la pluie this year was they never faked out when it came time to deal with sexual tension. like? And then the fact that they were releasing the sexual tension led to more interesting complications and things to unpack in the relationship. It is so much more interesting when we let the characters have a little bit of sex And then deal with the outcomes of what that means and what the sex signified to those characters in a show that's about romantic desire, that plays around with sexual desire. That is super important for me. So congratulations to the entire team at La Pluie. I saw what you all did and it was fantastic.
0: So, Ben, we've gotten through our top tings. I think that the people will have noticed that there were a few things missing from the awards. That's not because we didn't see these things or we're not going to talk about these things. We've got a bunch of special class awards coming at you tomorrow. Again, if the editing holds up. Tomorrow. (laughs) We're going to be talking about our special class awards in three categories. We've got honorable mentions. We've got a very special actor award to give out. And we have got our standout queer narratives of the year. Look forward to that. Coming at you tomorrow. Until then, we out. Say bye to the people, Ben. Peace.